17 past three. It is a great pleasure to welcome to the show Professor and Epidemiologist Michael Baker. Professor, thank you very much for your time again. Yeah, kia ora. Kia ora. Well, uh, we are really thankful to you because there's so much talk about COVID. I mean, I don't know how you get up in the morning these days, uh, <laughs> Professor. It's just, it just seemed to be such an ongoing thing. Can we just hit you up with a few questions straight off the bat that have come in from our family of listeners? Sure. So yeah, the, happy the, thank you. So this one, first of all, says statistically, is the Delta variant does it have a higher mortality rate than the other COVID variants? Look, um, that's not clear at the moment. Um, it it may not. Um, one of the things that's happening internationally is that um, because older age groups have been vaccinated, there's a lot more cases in younger people who have a, a lower risk of dying when they get this infection. So they are seeing a lower mortality at a population level. So this requires really careful analysis. So I think it's still early days. But remembering the virus doesn't gain much um, from being more lethal for us. It gains a lot by being more infectious. And that's the main way in which the Delta variant ultimately is causing more deaths around the world just because it's infecting a lot more people. Ah, very interesting. Another question from the text. If the Delta virus is that bad, why do none of the people who have it in and passing through MIQ never die? Well, remembering at a population level, the um, mortality risk from this infection is about 1%. That's across a typical population group in a country like New Zealand. But many of the people travelling are in younger age groups. Um, You won't see so many... Um, 80 and 90 year olds um, coming in with this virus and really once you get uh, over 70 the the risk of death rises very markedly um, with age. Can I ask this question I'm pretty sure you've answered it for me before but I just want to put paid to a number of texts here is coronavirus more deadly than the flu? Yes. How much more? About 15 times more dangerous and we published on the subject in the British Medical Journal. And uh, again, it's, um, you have to adjust very um, much for um, the age structure of the population. Um, if, you, if you look at um, some countries with a very youthful populations, mortality at a population level will be less. Mm. But if you look at a population like New Zealand where, and, and European countries where we fortunately do now live longer lives and we have... You know, our older relatives we'd like to see around for a bit longer. They are the ones who have a much higher risk. So for a typical structured population like New Zealand, it would be about 1% overall, maybe up to 1.5%. Right. But Delta, as distinct from the other variants, does seem to be um, infecting to the negative, very much to the negative young people, doesn't it? Yeah, again, um, it's um, uh, overseas. That's um, a function of older age groups having been vaccinated. It also, uh, in the case of New Zealand, we couldn't really know. I mean, we've only got a few cases, fortunately, and by chance they're in younger people, and that will just reflect um, uh, the, the patterns of um, transmission in this case. You've really got to look at um, a much larger population to get an idea of, of um, who it infects. But also young people have big social networks, and um, they um, out and about. Mm. Um, they um, often have fewer symptoms. Uh, and therefore may not change their behaviour in the same way. So they're very good at transmitting the virus. 
Right. Professor, this is an interesting question, and it's been, of course, we've seen a lot of headlines about it, but a chap in Wanaka's text and saying, Professor Baker, where, in your view, I respect very much what you say, where did the virus come from? Is it nature or man-made? Uh, well, it's, it's certainly come from a natural um, source originally, uh, and the most likely um, is what we call a spillover process. So it's jumped the species barrier, uh, it's probably started in a bat, uh, and then how it got from the bat to humans is still hotly debated. Um, it could have come by an intermediate um, host like a pangolin or some other animal via um, one of these wet markets where there's a lot of mixing of animals. Mm. It could have been accelerated potentially by, um, for example, uh, a virus hunter who was going and sampling um, bats um, because we know there are an important source of emerging infection. So it's possible they got infected and then passed it on to other people. I think the idea that it escaped from a laboratory, we have to always keep an open mind. I mean, that has happened before with influenza viruses. Uh, so it's still on the list. Um, and we need, as scientists, we need to have all of these ideas and just look at what the evidence um, is suggesting. We may never know because... A, a, a zoonotic disease like Ebola, which has um, caused 20-plus outbreaks in Africa, we still don't know how it's getting out, where it's coming from. So it, it, it may be we never know exactly with this virus. Funny you mention Ebola. Yellow fever, Ebola, COVID-19, are they similar in transmitting disease and is the death rate the same? Uh, they all are quite different in how they behave. I mean, uh, Ebola has um, a much higher mortality rate, but fortunately... It's um, quite hard to catch. Uh, you really do have to have very close contact with people who are infected with the virus. Um, and it can be even transmitted after people have died. It's, um, but it requires that very close contact. It's not a respiratory um, infection uh, like um, uh, coronaviruses or COVID-19. We're joined by epidemiologist Professor Michael Baker. Again, thanks, Professor, so much for your time. Michael, just wondering, what are your thoughts on the modelling numbers that are being talked about? Where do you think this outbreak's going to head? Yeah, well, look, uh, now that we are pretty sure um, it, uh, there isn't a very direct connection for um, this case, uh, we don't know how they got infected. There's um, obviously now a link to um, uh, very similar uh, genome sequences from New South Wales. That's going to help. But that does mean that uh, there could have been um, two or three generations of uh, transmission in the community. And unfortunately, where one case on average um, affects five or six others, um, you can do the maths and the numbers start to add up very fast. And I know today at the press conference, they talked about a range maybe from 20 or so to 120 or maybe mm. 50 to 120. Mm. Uh, so that's, I think, what we have to be concerned about at the moment. Mm. Professor uh, Judy has texted and asked, can you explain how the vaccinated nurse got COVID-19? Well, when they say got it, it means that they were tested as a contact and found to have a positive PCR result. So it's a very sensitive test to say, yes, it's, it was detected in their upper airways. It doesn't mean that they actually were um, getting symptomatic illness. And the problem is, the vaccine we give produces what's called systemic immunity. So it means that you're protected against serious illness. It doesn't give that kind of mucosal immunity, um, which would stop you getting the virus lodging in your airways. So that's a difficulty. Um, and 
Uh, some vaccines are like that. They don't give um, complete protection against infection, but they still stop you being sick and dying. Yeah, which okay. is which is critical here. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones. A lot of people want to talk to you, Professor. Uh, Daryl, hello there. Uh, hi there. It's Daryl here from the West Coast. Good on you, Daryl. What's your question, please? Um, I was uh, going to ask the doctor... Um, is, um, what's the difference between um, the vaccines and viral, um, um, uh, they're called um, antiviral drugs? Oh, yeah, good question. Did you hear that, Professor? What's the difference between a vaccine and the antiviral drug? Well, yeah, look, um, vaccines stimulate your immune system so it's better able to fight infections. And um, that's still the body's number one defence against um, being infected and getting seriously ill. Um, antivirals uh, are things that actually attack the virus directly. So it's a bit like um, you might have um, uh, a, a vaccine against pneumococcal pneumonia, which usually which works relatively well. But if you actually get the pneumonia and you go to hospital, you can be given antibiotics, which treat, which attack the bacteria directly and stop people dying from pneumococcal pneumonia. So unfortunately at the moment with this, this virus, we don't have good antivirals. And this could be the absolute game changer if we had them. Uh, and there'll be literally tens of thousands of scientists working day and night to try and find um, a weak spot in this virus they can exploit with antivirals. And if we think about some of the other big pandemics like um, HIV AIDS has now been largely beaten with antivirals. There's no vaccine for it. Uh, it took a long time. It took decades. So we don't want to have to wait that long. Mm. But actually, the technology is advancing really fast in this area. So I think that's the, the great, the wild card, if you like, on the horizon. Right. Good stuff. Professor, is there any difference between an antibiotic and an antiviral drug? Uh, well, antibiotic um, uh, for bacteria antivirals for viruses. viruses right. yeah. We sometimes talk about antimicrobials. That kind of covers our base because that means that it works on, well, if we're talking generically about all the things that can deal with microbes that attack us, mm. um, that's the more general term. Uh, Professor says this texter, what is the incubation period for the Delta variant? Well, it's probably as short as three to four days. I mean, obviously in extreme cases it can be even shorter, but it's a day or two faster or shorter than for um, the earlier versions of this virus. And that's um, a real problem for contact tracing because you need, uh, you know, days really do matter when you're trying to locate all the contacts of a case so you can uh, quarantine them or isolate them before they infect lots of, uh, of other people. Mm, very good. Uh, Khan's been standing by here. Hi, Khan. Hi there. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Pleasure. Um, Doctor, I was just wondering if the um, genomic testing uh, traced back to New South Wales with the current source unknown. Would, could it be possible that it stemmed from the interactions with the ports of Tauranga workers had with the infected Rio de la Plata sailors? Yeah, look, um, that, it's a good question. And um, the, the genome testing, uh, obviously, it's a great tool. Um, of course, the limiting fact is you still have to have... Um, uh, a smoking gun somewhere. You have to have um, other viruses that you can compare it with. And it looks like um, that, that, good that good match with the, the cases in New South Wales is very helpful. Uh, 
it might be, uh, I mean, we would need um, uh, isolates from these other um, potential sources. And I know we've had these four um, shipping um, uh, ships or, or um, uh, uh, I think, fishing vessels mm. where um, there have been positive cases. And they will be in the mix. They, they will be in the collection at ESR and they will be doing the matching. And I think if it matched with any of them, that would have come up at this point. Uh, but, you know, we have to obviously keep an open mind, but I think that's really um, helpful having that New South Wales connection. So now they're actually comparing, the next comparison is with some isolates from people who were in MIQ. I think they mentioned three people who had a connection with New South Wales. Uh, so I think this is really work in progress, and I'm sure it will give us some useful answers. It may still not tell us how it got from those, those people when if they were, if it was from MIQ, it might have been some other connection. And the genome testing is, is very specific. It can sometimes tell you how many intermediate cases there were between uh, New South Wales and our um, current um, index case. That's outstanding. Last question, Professor, and again, we're so thankful for your time. A number of women that are pregnant are keen to get the vaccine but worried about the safety. In your view, as an epidemiologist, is it safe for pregnant women to get the vaccine? Yes, the, the safety evidence is very good now for having this vaccine in pregnancy, and it's highly recommended because pregnancy is a risk factor for um, serious outcomes with this um, infection. And we, you, you know, we've all heard of these tragic cases in Fiji recently of um, pregnant women uh, dying, and um, I think in at least one or two cases the, the baby was saved, but um, it's an awful outcome in that situation. Yeah. Michael, thank you very, thank you. very much. I know you're a busy man at the moment and uh, highly in demand, so thank you for being so gracious with your time. Much appreciated. Professor Michael Baker, epidemiologist, News Talk ZB.